Welcome everyone. I am your host, Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay, founder of AGR Book Club. Welcome to Deliciously Lit, the podcast where adventure, books, and cuisine collide. If this is your first time to our channel, or if you've been here before, say hello. I'm back. D-Lit. Now, pour yourself a glass of your favorite beverage, settle in, and get ready for some deliciously lit fun. I'm Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay with Deliciously Lit today, and basically I am talking to Dr. Tanisha Richmond of Richmond Foot and Ankle Clinic, a longtime friend and a fellow author. And we want to talk about her book and all her accomplishments, and let's figure out this road to success. Now, your book is The Weight of Success. Yes. How did you even get into this anthology? Look at her, The Weight of Success. How did you even get into it? I, I knew a local author that I had followed, and actually she invited me to be part of the book. She just invited me to be one of the authors in the book with her on the anthology. Now, what made you even want to be a part of it, contribute to the body of work? What made um, you? I just wanted to be an author. You know, such something I wanted to do. I still want to write my actual autobiography. I just have to sit down and do it or get me a ghostwriter to help me write it. The time time issue. Yes, I think a ghostwriter would be excellent because you don't have the time. You're running a full-time practice. Yes. Now, a little bit about you. You did go to school at Talladega College. Yes. Right? Now, tell me a little bit about that. Was it an HBCU? What kind of school was it? Talladega is an HBCU in Talladega, Alabama, home of the... The Talladega 500. Oh, right. All right. <laughs> In the woods of Alabama. I think when I went there, it was like 1,300 students. I was a biology major, so our class size might have been 20. So I remember I got sick as a freshman with my asthma and missed class. They called my mom <laughs> in Louisiana. So, yeah, it was, it was a very close-knit community of professors and and they really kept an eye on you. Well, being a part of that community, being able to be in this anthology and tell people about what you're doing and your path to success, it just basically paint a positive light for HBCUs to have more people that's contributing once they get out. Now, I have another question. When you wrote the name or came up with the name, Feet Don't Fail Me Now, for your portion of the book. Where did you come up with that? Feet don't fail me now. Uh, well, it's our journey. We've been on a journey being physicians. That's a lifelong journey. And you do need your feet. You need everything not to fail you. I mean, I equate going to medical school as a marathon. It wasn't a sprint. You know, yeah. a lot of people were intelligent, but they couldn't run a marathon. They were only sprinters. <laughs> so it, it's just a long, it's, it's just a long-term 
learning process, living process. And it, it just took a lot of dedication. So that's why I say feet don't fail me now. You, we, we were running for six years. <laughs> a little bit of background. Basically, you had to have that four-year degree, got your bachelor's of science, and then you went to podiatry school, which is another four-year school. And then you did a three-year residency. So no, feet don't fail me. You got to keep moving through that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, with all of that in place, you had to have an awesome work ethic. Where yeah. or who do you contribute your work ethic to? My parents, my grandparents. I'm a I'm third generation educated. My both of my grandmothers were elementary school teachers. My grandfather was a mortician and he owned his own funeral home as well as about a hundred rental properties. So I grew up around him and watching him run his business. And I used to always think he was mean, but now I'm worse <laughs> in my own business. And I understood what it, watching him, what it took to have a successful business and to be a success in life, period. You're always working, you do rest, but you, your business is your child, it's your baby. So you have to nurture it and maintain it and not neglect it. And then my father's military. So I was raised on a military father and traveled the world, but he implemented military tactics in us because mm -hmm. we're very methodical. We, we followed the same method, the same patterns every day. Even my boyfriend noticed all of our houses are designed the same, organized the same, <laughs> but we were raised by a military father. And to this day, we're not, we're never a late group of people. We're always on time or early. So it was just how we were raised. So I think all of that played a part to it. Then my mother's a nurse. So it all played a part in this. It just kept being implemented and reiterated over and over again throughout my childhood and adulthood. So I guess I didn't know anything else. Honestly. Did you always love science or were you someone that got into the medical field because you wanted to help? No, I was a nerd from day one. <laughs> I liked science. I, When I was a little girl, I didn't want baby dolls. I want chemistry sets, microscopes. I wanted to blow up stuff. I was collecting rocks. I remember when I lived in Germany, I was a little girl. I was in the woods collecting snails and bugs. And I wanted to go to museums and play with stuff. I always liked science. I always liked to read. I, I, and every Halloween, I was always a doctor. Uh -huh. I would take my mom's stethoscope and her lab coat. And that's what I was every Halloween. So I always wanted to be a doctor. I just didn't know what kind. Mm -hmm. But since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> now, do you feel that all your travels contributed to your success? Did it, did it contribute to how you correspond with people now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm multicultural, so mm -hmm. I've lived all over the world. I've lived to probably 10 to 15 different states and cultures, mm -hmm. parts of the country. So living in Ohio is not hard for me because I'm like a chameleon. You can drop me anywhere on earth and I'll adapt. And that's from my childhood. So I think it, it was 
as a child, I found it unsettling, but as an adult, I appreciate my exposure to so many different cultures and languages and lifestyles. So, and then also being a Southerner, I bring a different twist coming to the North because, you know, being a, you're a Southerner, you know the differences, the way we roll versus Northerners and the way we approach things like Right now, I'm making up Christmas baskets for every patient who's going to walk out of here with some kind of Christmas gift. And they would never think to do nothing like that. But I, I realized my patients pay my bills. They pay our bills. And we need to take care of our patients and make sure they have a good Christmas because they're helping me to have a good Christmas. That's right. So is this a different approach? I guess my health care is different because also I'm a diabetic myself. I was diagnosed in medical school, second semester. So my entire journey of being in healthcare, I've been a diabetic. So that's a different aspect of it. So we have different kind of conversations than other doctors could have. We have very realistic blunt conversations because they can't BS me with their stories of how they can't control their sugars. <laughs> I can control mine. Why can't you control yours? Yes. And we have honest conversations about that. Now, firsthand, I know that starting a practice is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it's very hard. Yes. How do you feel what you have went through and has contributed to your success of your practice and the success of being able to start your own podcast? <laughs> well... I would have to say you have to surround yourself with successful people and only successful people. You can't listen to Boo Boo and Bay Bay for advice. <laughs> you have to listen to millionaires and people you aspire to be. So mm-hmm. I've been proud of practice management since I was in residency, going to their conferences, I was part of the practice management group, top practices. I'm still part of another practice management group. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to be around the best and then you have to reach their level. And basically they give you the blueprint. You just have to follow it. And a lot of people aren't willing to follow it. Like, just like I said, I've given every patient a gift. A lot of people aren't going to do that. They don't think it's worth it, but they don't understand that. That gift may cost me 50 cents a patient, but that may make me a couple thousand dollars because that patient is going to tell everybody they know that their foot doctor gave them a Christmas present. And that's marketing in itself. But a lot of people don't think like that. They don't think, oh, let me do something. And, um, so that's what I've learned is you have to listen and follow the best. Like I'm, I'm reading books from Elon Musk book list, uh, Bill Gates book list, Amazon's book list. I need to go back and read Apple's biography, the founder of Apple. Cause you, if you want to be the best, you have to learn from the best. That's true. Now I, my next question is I saw in the chapter that you contributed, that you talked about marketing 
that you talked about budgeting and investing in personal development. You kind of hit on that when you were talking about your book list and reading all the books from Amazon and Elon Musk. What are other things that people need to look at when starting a business? <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> I say, one of my pastors would always say, the Lord gonna bless you with a business. I say, he need to bless you with an accountant, an attorney. <laughs> you need to take, if you can, get an MBA or at least take some accounting classes, uh, management classes learning human resource do's and don'ts with that kind of thing it's all encompassing i think in most cities probably all have sba locations small business administration locations where you can go as a small business and they have all kind of funding for individual training like when i first started they they gave me a free accountant who came in and looked at my books and talked yes. to me and fussed at me. <laughs> She's still a friend, <laughs> but I mean, but the SBA paid for all that. And then we had free workshops in our SBA. We even have incubators for small businesses where they can pay decreased okay. rent and have little mini offices. So it's like reaching out to organizations like that. And then of course I'm a double minority. So getting like your MBE certification, minority business enterprise certification with the city and state and federal, that will allow you to be exposed to even more things, more programs, more funding. So, but I would say for people just starting out is to reach out to your local SBA chapter in your town and talk, go in and talk to them and see what's available. Cause these people have huge budgets and they're just sitting there most of the time. And there's a lot of money there that they can help you with, especially if you're a minority, you can even get more help. So that's where I would start. And then like joining, going on Facebook and joining small business organizations, places like Alignable, that's an awesome site I've watched couple webinars but they have like daily webinars yes, they on do. different things small businesses women businesses <laughs> i mean they have all kind of webinars and and youtube youtube yeah. is you can get a degree off of youtube <laughs> university <laughs> so you know so it's it's out there but i would start with sba looking at facebook joining some groups and joining up with alignable joining groups going watching a lot of their webinars and, and maybe trying to reach out to local entrepreneurs and see yeah. if, if they were willing to mentor you mm -hmm. and help you. Cause lots of times if you don't ask, you don't know, cause you don't know what that person may want to do or not do or can do for you. You just have to ask. And then you can also to ask them, is there anything that you can help them do? You yeah. never they might have something they need you to do and you're basically helping each other yeah yeah now to take a different tone the podcast rich feet podcast how did that become a brainchild when did you come up with this idea and what is your mission for the podcast well what had happened was <laughs> 10 years ago i got invited to be a guest on a radio show, WDAO here in Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I was a co-guest and then I stayed on with him maybe a year or two and something happened. They fell out 
And then the radio show became just mine, Footsteps to Life. And I always wanted a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and then Valerie Coleman, who actually wrote this book, connected mm -hmm. me with a gentleman who produces podcasts. So actually I interviewed with him and he suggested, he let me know that he can manage podcasts for me. So then that's how I created Rich Feet Podcast. It's a recording of every radio show that I do once a month live here in Dayton, Ohio at a radio station, WDAO. So that's how it came about. I Basically, I just wanted everything to be taped so people could go back and listen at their own leisure because it's a lot of information. I'm on the radio for an hour. I have awesome guests, guests like you. People look forward to you coming in and talking about the different books of the month, all the different different people, types of people, types of experts. Of course, I talk about feet, but I try to integrate other specialties and topics to make it interesting. But that's the main reason why I created it, because I wanted it to be recorded and preserved. So someone's just bored, they can sit and listen to me talk about feet. <laughs> But like you said, you have all other disciplines on there. So they learn about everything. It's yes. an all-encompassing show. Yeah. Now, I look at everything that I went through. I know you've looked at everything that you went through. What can you say to get to the amount of success that you've reached that you had to sacrifice? <laughs> everything. Everything. Well... I wouldn't say not how having. How would you explain that to the? How would how could you explain that to the youth or explain that to someone who's expiring to get to where you are? How do you explain you're gonna have to sacrifice everything? Well, I call my practice Richie. She's fourteen. She's a when she a teenager now. Oh, she's <laughs> she's a got teenager. An attitude. Yeah. <laughs> she's a small brat. She gets whatever she wants. And I built her from an infant, from zero. I think I'm up to like 14,000 patients. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so it's sacrificing everything. I mean, you know, you you give it everything. You don't walk away. You walk away, but it's still on your mind. Like on the weekends, mm -hmm. if I'm in the store, I'm still chopping for stuff for the office. You know, I may see something oh i need the sticky notes i need some staples i need some paper i need some ink or just like you know when i get off with you i'm gotta go make up these christmas bags for the patients and we're making customized stockings and hats to give to the patients so it it, it never ends even when you're on vacation you still think about your business yeah you step away but you still, it's still in the back of your mind. Okay, when I get back, I need to do this, this. Or you may see something on your vacation. Ooh, that's a good idea yeah. for my business. That's something maybe I should try. But you have to keep growing your business. You have to keep learning your business. Like I, I did go for an MBA a couple years ago, and that was the best thing I ever could have done because I had to understand business. Mm -hmm. uh, Medical school doesn't teach us the business side. They teach us the clinical side, but they don't teach us how to run a day-to-day -day business and all the 
the intricacies of running a business and being successful in business and not feeling guilty about making income and profit and enjoying the the fruits of your labor. So, you know, that that's a whole evolution in itself. But I, I would say I, I sacrificed it all. I mean, I, I'm a thousand miles away from my family because I was given an opportunity that I did not turn down. That's true. And you know, I have to fly in now to see my family and my parents and brothers and sisters, but it's a sacrifice I make because I have a successful business here. So it's just, I think they have to truly understand that you may work and pay your employees and not pay yourself. That's true. That you can go work every day and be broke. <laughs> You're not going to make the money you want to make overnight. You have to grind. Yes. I'm at 14 years in, you know, I'm very, I'm comfortable now, but that's 14 years in. <laughs> I wasn't comfortable when I first started, I was struggling. Yes. So, but I think they have to understand you have to crawl, then you can walk and then you can run. But that is the process. You don't jump, you don't jump <laughs> you have to go through the stages of evolving in your business. I think the biggest thing that you have given people in this section of the anthology is you're telling them about marketing, budgeting, you're telling them to invest in their self, you're telling them to get an attorney, you're telling them about the sacrifices that they will have to make. If you really want to learn how to get your business up and going, how to start your practice or start a business in general, you need to grab that book. Put it up again, Dr. Richmond. You need to grab that book. The Weight of Success. Don't forget to read that section. Pete, don't fail me now. Okay. Dr. Richmond, I want to thank you for sharing with us today and taking time out of your busy schedule with all your patients. Thank you. All right. Thank you for being a part of Deliciously Lit. But since we are a show that talk about food and literature, you do have to give us your favorite dish and pair it with something delicious to drink. Let me know. I'm listening. I guess it would be the eggplant casserole that Mr. Norman cooked for me for <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving. It's a fried eggplant, and you layer that with Alfredo. And cheese with oh, crab wow. meat, shrimp. Oh, crab meat. Crab meat, shrimp, and you layer that and bake it. Well, you got to tell him he needs to bake that for us. Not unless <laughs> you. Now, you're in Dayton, right? Dayton, Ohio? Yeah. Okay. You got to tell me an excellent restaurant there, a dish, and a good bottle of wine. Me and you both love wine. Tell me about well, it. I would say Carver's uh -huh. and, and uh, a nice Cabernet with lamb chops. They have the best lamb chops in the city. Well, if you go out to Dayton, you already got Dr. Richmond's recommendation. You <laughs> Carver's. Yeah. Well, it was good having you on the show and I can't wait to talk to you again. Okay. All right. You have a good one. All right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Okay. You have just listened to another episode of Deliciously Lit Podcast with your host, Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay. Connect with us at bookclubpublishing.com. 
don't forget to get the app, join the Facebook group, subscribe, and write us a review. See you at the next episode.